You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, 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 yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate all you guys. I love this profession so much. I love it. Dentistry is an extremely noble profession. And there's a lot of good people out there. And that's my goal is to find them and bring them to you and add some value to your life. And today is a great example. So my team found Dr. Alan Budins from the University of Pacific. And he has some great thoughts on local anesthesia. And he asked the question, are your patients comfortably numb? You'll love this. There are some great tips and some great pearls in this one. So hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron, and I get to do the fun stuff here of just finding great thinkers in dentistry and bringing some great information to you to improve your practice and your life. I love it. I'm just a CE junkie, and I love this whole industry. And so I get to, my team is always on the lookout for new thinkers, new uh, people that bring just new thought processes to the table. And I have one of those people here today, Dr. Alan Budent, right? Did I get that right? Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about are your patients comfortably numb and some of the concepts in local anesthesia. So Alan, thanks for being on. Yeah. Pleasure to be here, Kirk. Thanks for inviting me. All right. And you know what? I don't know if you and I have ever met ever, actually face-to-face, ever. Uh, no, we no. haven't. But, but <laughs> it's a, overdue, you know? That's okay. I, I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying. So um, I like to start here, if that's okay. I love learning people's stories. I love hearing about how they got to I want to know your story, and I, know, I want our listeners to hear your story. So who are you, and where are you? And uh, take us on that journey. Well, okay, I'll, I'll keep it dental though. So, uh, so I, I'm a general dentist, and as a general dentist, you know, to me, local anesthesia, getting your patients comfortably numb, is incredibly important. Um, you know, you can't do good quality dental work if the patient's feeling pain and fighting you. So, you've got to have good control. So. 
to me, two big things. Number one, I want to deliver local anesthesia as efficiently as possible because I've never had a patient, you know, beg me to give them more shots. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I always think of the movie, uh, you know, Little Shop of Horrors, you know, mm-hmm. with Steve Martin and Bill Murray. And Bill Murray's like, oh, yeah, Doc hurt me. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not real people. Right. So we're not going there. So I want to be real efficient with local anesthesia. And, you know, in, in giving the shot, inherently, you, you don't want to cause the patient pain giving the shot either. So let me go back. Um, I, I was trained as an anatomist before I went to dental school. So when they were teaching me local anesthesia in dental school, they're talking about, okay, you want to look here, you want to feel here, you want to line up this landmark and this angle and all this stuff, and you give your injection, and then you sit back and you wait to see if it worked. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? I mean, that's it sort of sounded like a wing and a prayer to me. Right. Didn't seem all that, you know knowledgeable. It's like it was so uncertain. And so I figured, you know, if I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life, because I want to be that painless dentist that people want to go to, you know. So if I'm going to achieve that, I want to learn as much about local anesthesia as I can. Right. So that's that's what started me on the path of learning as much as I can. And I'm still learning. Yeah. Which is good, which is good. That's awesome. You got to always be learning. So, and then, you know, so you actually teach at the the dental school, right? Yeah. I teach at the university Pacific in San Francisco. Okay. And I've, I've been teaching human anatomy here since 1984 and uh, local anesthesia and oral diagnosis, a whole bunch of other things. I'm a general dentist. I teach everything. Yeah. And so when you're teaching these kids who are just a spot, they're sponges for this, where, where do you start? And then what do most of them probably get wrong right away? You know, cause you, you know, you can't just learn this being taught it. You got to figure it out along the way a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, well, the <laughs> practice makes perfect. Uh, we've heard that a few times before. Right. Um, so we're, I think we're pretty traditional in how we start out, you know, the students, we're, they're taught anatomy and all these things. And in the anatomy course, we do a lot of clinical correlation. So as we're teaching anatomy of the oral cavity, we are talking about local anesthesia to some degree. But then they do have a local anesthesia course, and they, again, review the anatomy and the landmarks and discuss the techniques. And we, for the mandible, which is always the bigger problem to get successfully numb, we always start with a conventional inferior alveolar regional nerve block technique. Um, and so in, in doing that, we walk them through, they palpate on each other and we use Q-tips, line things up. Um, but then once we've gone through those basics, then the students have that wonderful privilege of injecting each other. <laughs> and course that creates all kinds of wonderful experiences and stories yeah (laughs) you can imagine i can only Um, imagine yeah and i mean well we we do have them inject into oranges and things like that some you know for some practice too but um it has a feel of inserting a needle into the cheek but other than that the orange doesn't respond like a human being does so it's kind of eh, you know yeah we do these weird, funky things. We're starting to work with uh, mannequins. Um, there's some pretty advanced mannequins now that have a, a pretty good feel of what human tissue is like. 
and they actually have some electronic components that lets you know whether you hit the right spot or not, which is very I cool. Human, I wish human beings had that, you know, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then when, you know, this has come a long way too. So if I'm a young dentist listening, give us a little history lesson on the evolution of this. You know, we always talk about technology, how fast technology has changed, but local anesthesia has changed quite a bit too in the last, I'd say five to 10 years, don't you think? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, in, injectables have been around since the late 1800s, you know, started out where they were injecting cocaine um, unfortunately, that led to a lot of problems, as you can imagine, both with patients and practitioners. For sure. So they went away and they started using uh, synthesized esters that were derivatives of, of cocaine. Uh, and then they moved the amide anesthetics, it, but still with a conventional syringe delivery technique. But what we're, what we're seeing now is that we have computer-controlled injection devices that allow us to inject the anesthetic still with a needle, but with a less cumbersome looking handle, so to speak. And at a pressure that's below the, the pain threshold for a patient, and also at a slow rate that is pretty painless for a patient. Yeah. Uh, but that's still with a needle. Now there is, there's a fair amount of research going on um, you know, there was a, a, a product brought to market a little while ago called Covenace, which was a nasal spray, a, a local anesthesia spray that could be used for the anterior maxilla to anesthetize that area. Um, and it was, it was an effective product. Problem was, uh, I think it was a little uh, overly priced on the market. And I don't think that they are in business anymore. At least uh, I haven't gotten any response from them in quite a while. But, you know, they did a lot of research and it was worthwhile. We're also seeing research on a thing called uh, ionophoresis, which is using an electric current, you know, two um, patches put onto the, onto the tissue, an electric current to draw the anesthetic through the tissue down to the nerve and anesthetize the nerve. Um, it's been used a little bit in medicine. It is being worked on in, in dentistry, but I haven't seen a successful application yet. There's some research with the light-activated local anesthetics. Um, you know, I, so I guess the, the bottom line is that uh, although the injectables, needles are still by far and away the most reliable, we're still looking for better ways, easier ways, more comfortable ways to deliver the anesthetic. And that's, that's encouraging. Yeah. And that's always one of my questions. Like anyone's guess is what the future looks like. What, what do you, what can yeah. we anticipate the, the future would look like or might look like five to 10 years from now with local anesthesia? Well, I, I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be a, a doomsayer, but I think we're still going to be using needles for a good while. Yeah, but I think that some of these uh, patch delivery techniques, like the ionophoresis, um, you know, some of the the things that have been developed more for medicine and trying to adapt them for dentistry. You know, part of the problem with with dentistry is that. Um, you know, versus putting a patch on the skin for anesthesia like you can do in medicine, um, we're dealing with a very moist environment, so a patch may not stick well onto the mucosa. 
we're usually trying to get deeper nerves, like the inferior alveolar nerve is, is rather deep through the tissue, hard to direct the anesthetic that deep from a patch. Right. So, you know, I think these things may have promise, but um, I, I think it's going to take quite a while to get developed. Yeah. And then then getting the FDA approval to put them on the market is an extremely lengthy and very, we're talking tens of millions of dollars to get FDA approval. Wow. And and so with, with new technologies, they, they don't come to market rapidly because of the time and money that's involved in developing them. Yeah, and absolutely. And so, so a big theme that we always talk about is just always be learning. You can never learn enough in this whole yeah. process. And as we talk about how you know, technologies or even anesthesia has changed over time. Patients have also changed. You know, this is a different day and age in patients. And so we have Tom Viola on quite a bit, uh, you know, pharmacologist. And he's like, you know, some of these things you see in a health history form, like the list is long. Like, I mean, yeah. you yeah. really need to be on the front end of learning what patients are all about. So I'll reveal some of Tom's secrets, but Tom, Tom's really good. He's like, listen, when you see these things on there, when it comes to anesthesia, you just got to ask questions. What did you take? What are you taking? Did you take it today? And then do you know why you're taking it? And he says, the answers these patients will give you will blow you away. And so while you don't need to be an expert on everything, would you agree? Like we, we need to understand how these components all come together as patients change, right? Oh, very much. Extremely important. You know, the, the understanding the health history is, is so fundamental. And, you know, it's, we can never learn all these things, what all the potential drug interactions are, but there's some great references. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention a product, but For I'll, sure. yeah. I'll say LexiComp is, is a great pharmacology reference source. It's designed for dentistry. Um, you look, you see that a patient's on a certain medication. You've never heard of this medication before. You can quickly look it up in LexiComp and it'll tell you exactly what interactions can occur with local anesthetics specifically or with antibiotics or with other medications that we use in dentistry. It's written specifically for dentistry. So you don't have to know everything. You just have to recognize and make sure that you're getting a thorough history from your patient. And then, like you said, Kirk, you're talking to your patient, asking questions. Uh, what do they know? Because some of these medications are being used for off-label use. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you look up the drug and it tells you it's being used for X, Y, Z. You ask your patient, do you have this disease? And they go, no. Yeah, they <laughs> don't. Go, well, why are you taking this drug? <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe they do know, maybe they don't know. And right. So sometimes you want to talk to the physician as well. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a challenge. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's the miracle of modern medicine that we see so many patients who are um, able to mobilize and walk into our dental offices. These are patients that 10, 15, 20 years ago were homebound. Right. It's made our world a lot more complicated, but I think it's kind of fun to have the challenge too. I mean, 100%. And you know, it's, don't yeah, want to be bored. Absolutely. And go back to that, you know, the challenge. So I'm 52. I've been doing this for 25 years. And when I first got involved, like the word preceptorship was a strong word. And I'll never forget, I was probably 28. And there was a great dentist. He was such a great guy. He's like, hey, everybody, come over to my office on Friday. And so there's probably four or five dentists. He brought in lunch and he's like, listen, I'm going to teach you everything I've learned and done wrong. 
and anesthesia. And a lot of it actually had nothing to do with the anesthesia. It was about communication. And he would, I remember him talking about the pressure, you know, like he's, I always put my hand on the patient's shoulder and I do these things. I explain the pressure and he, it was really calming just to listen to him. And I said, why are you doing this? He's like, I just don't want them to make the mistakes that I made because this is one of those things that you got to get right. And I'll never forget the look in his face. He's like, Anesthesia is one of the things you just kind of got to get it right. So let's go back to the title, Comfortably Numb. So let's say I'm a student of yours and I'd be the worst student, but like, where, how, what would you coach me on and how do I find Comfortably Numb and how would you even define Comfortably Numb? Well, so uh, that's a great question. So first off, I mean, yes, you, you need to understand the anatomy and, you know, we talk about techniques. But you touched on something that, that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is talking to your patients. You know, when I'm delivering local anesthesia to the patient, before I do it, I tell them what I'm going to do. And so, for example, you know, I, I dry their cheek off, and I put a Q-tip with some topical anesthetic on there, and I tell them, I'm putting a little topical anesthetic on here so you won't feel the stick of the needle as much. And then, you know, uh, I'm going to keep that Q-tip there, just a little bit of pressure that helps so that you don't feel just the stick of the needle. And I'm going to do this really slowly. I'm going to tell you right, right up in front, you know, I'm going to do this slowly so that it's more comfortable for you. And as I start to stick the needle in, I go, okay, you're going to feel a little needle stick here, but going to be real, real careful with this here, right? Here we go. I'm going to start pushing a little bit of anesthetic in. You're going to feel a little bit of light pressure. I'm going to do this really slowly so you don't feel it as much. And, you know, as I, as I go along, I'm walking through and I'm talking to the patient as I'm doing it. And I'm telling them what to expect, what they're going to feel. And so, for example, if I'm going to shake the cheek, I tell them I'm going to shake the cheek. Rather than staying, you know, stoic and silent, and then I'm suddenly doing something. The patient's startled by, you know, why, why, why is this guy shaking my cheek or, you know, these kind of things. Right. I want to avoid surprises. And the other thing, I, I'm trying to tell the patient what I'm doing and what to anticipate in terms of feeling and so forth. But I know that sometimes patients totally tune me out. And all they're hearing, Kirk, is this kind of blah, 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 you know, in a calm, quiet voice. Right. But you know what? If if that's kind of hypnotic to them, that's fine, too. Yeah. You know, it still works to relax them and remove some of that anxiety. Yeah. But the bottom line is that as I'm doing everything, I'm telling them what I'm doing to make this more comfortable for them. I'm telling them what I do to make this a better experience for them. Right. That, that to me is extremely important. 100%. And then do you ever feel like you're 100% sure they are comfortably numb? Or do you always live in a little bit of, I think we're pretty close. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my questions. Yeah, well, I'm curious. I, I lived in that. Well, I think maybe they've got anesthesia. Because we're. how do we normally assess anesthesia? We ask the patient, do you feel mm -hmm. numb? Uh, yeah, my lip feels kind of numb. Uh, so you pick up an explorer and you poke around, right? Right. Well, hopefully they don't feel that. And then you pick up your drill or your curette, whatever, and you get ready to go to work. And is, is it going through your mind? God, I hope they don't feel this. <laughs> so, last thing I want is for the patient to jump, you know? Yeah. 
So I, I got tired of that. It's like, hey, no, I this this is killing me. Yeah. So w- simple thing to do. I squirt a little bit of endo ice on a Q-tip, put that on the center of the tooth. On the mandible, it's be, it'll be the most posterior tooth that I'm going to work on. If the patient doesn't feel that cold, you've got pulpal anesthesia. 99.9% sure they're not going to feel anything. Yeah. That's pretty darn good confidence. That's really good right. confidence. That's a great tip right there. I love it. Yeah. Any yeah. other you can do it. Yeah. Same thing on the maxilla too. You can put it on whichever teeth you're going to work on. And it just it lets you know, so you're not hoping, you know. Right. Oh my gosh. I love this. I have like 90 more questions. Is that okay? And I got to yeah, ask, so away. I get all these questions. And so is it okay if I just dish them to you as being the expert? You know, one of yeah, the yeah. things that's important, <laughs> every dentist learns this. There's only so much you can do. And then you just don't want to do everything. Your time is best spent doing only what you can do. Now, I don't know the number, but um, there is there 44 states that allow others to administer anesthesia or even more than that? I have no idea. So um, do you know? I think well, it, we're there's for right now, there are four states. I think we're down to four. Down to four. It, it was six. I think we're down to four now where hygienists can give injections. Okay. Now, it, it does vary among states whether they can only give infiltrations, whether they can give infiltrations in blocks, uh, whether they can do it without supervision from the dentist or if the dentist has to be there watching them. There's all kinds of different rules from one state to another. Um, but in most states, for example, I'm in California, and since I think it's 1972, hygienists have been able to give all injections in California. and I think it's made practice much more efficient. You know, the hygienist can anesthetize their patients as necessary. I can anesthetize my patients. Now, I do know uh, some dentists who don't like giving injections. And so they have their hygienist give all the injections. And okay, that's fine. I don't think it's a very efficient way to practice. But if that makes you personally more comfortable, I get it. It's okay. Right. Um, but does that kind of get at your question? Yeah, I was going to get your totally answer my question. And again, we don't have to be politically correct on this. You can say however you want. I actually have quite a few guests that are like, I don't care if anyone's be listening careful, to this. Kirk. I know, I know. But I like being honest, from at least from your standpoint. And so a lot of people that I've had on here that are speakers are like, listen, I'll start this statement with, in my opinion. You know, and so, um, and I, I do like the idea of others administering anesthesia. So I guess my question was, is like, what are your... What's your true feeling about others being, you know, allowed or, you know, able to administer anesthesia and what are the complications? So I do have, and and so that's my first question is what are your thoughts about that? And then secondly, some people overthink this. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, your state allows it. And they're like, no. And they still continue to burden themselves with all of the responsibility, which doesn't give them the time to really spend their energy on what's best. So those that's kind of a one part question, second part thought process. What do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So um, I, I think it's perfectly fine for auxiliaries to be able to give local anesthesia injections as long as they have been well-trained. Right. And for example, in California, our dental hygienists are very well-trained on administering local anesthesia. I have no hesitation whatsoever 
to let a well-trained hygienist give injections. And I think it's very beneficial to the practice. Now, for me personally, I, I prefer to give my local anesthesia injections because I feel that I can give them very comfortably, very successfully. And that right there tells the patient right from the very start that I am taking very good, very careful care of them. I think it gains me a lot of trust. For sure. You know, I, it just in, in my mind, if you have the hygienist come in and give the anesthesia and the patient is successfully numb, and now you, somebody else comes in and now you do do some other work, they're kind of going, well, how come that person did that and now you're doing this? It's, right. you know, to me, it, it's, I want to build a rapport with with a patient where they know what I'm capable of. They know all the things I'm doing to make this a very good experience for them. And it starts from the first thing from the injection on. Yeah. So that that's where I'm coming from. But, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong for anybody to do it a way that they're more comfortable with. That's perfectly fine. Right. It's just per- personal choice. Right. And if they're trained really well, this is an efficient process. It doesn't take forever to do this. And so give us an idea, like how long does this process take you? I mean, I I love that you said like getting to know the patient, asking, you'll find this. If you're listening to this podcast, get good at asking patients questions. That's number one. You can apply that to anything you do because you're going to get to learn. There's more intimacy. There's more trust that's created. But when it actually comes to the procedure itself, like, Typically, if I'm a dentist listening, what can I expect if I get really good at local anesthesia? Um, I'm going to answer that question, Kirk, but I'm going to digress for a moment here because you made me think of something here. So one thing I I learned the hard way in my early years of of practice is to, whenever I had a new patient, to talk to them about their prior dental office experiences and also to specifically ask them about anesthesia. Have you ever had any problems, had any reactions, whatever, to local anesthesia? And, you know, you get some really crazy, wild stories, of course, but a lot of it I found to really be helpful. And, you know, I, I had a patient in my, in my early years who's a really nice guy but I couldn't get him numb at the first appointment, could not get him numb. So frustrating. And, you know, I, I, I'm going, you know, Ted, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I don't know why this isn't working today. I, I apologize. And Ted looks at me and goes, you know, it's okay, doc. Every dentist has the same problem with me. <laughs> I'm so, sitting there going, what? So instantly you're feeling better about yourself. You know, well, more or less, but but now I'm also feeling stupid because this guy is now telling me this story that it takes him 40 to 45 minutes to get numb every time. And I was too stupid to ask about that before I started working on him. And unfortunately, he didn't tell me. But now that I know, I ask patients these kind of questions before I ever start working on them. And it has made my life much easier. That's a brilliant tip because you can, you get an idea of what you're dealing with here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of beating your head against the wall and, you know, thinking that you're a jerk because you can't get this patient numb. 
But um, I I digress from your question, and I'm trying to remember what your question was. No, typically just getting my my brain around the time frame. You know, when you really get good at local anesthesia, like what it takes after you've had many years of practice in this. Yeah. So when, when I'm giving my injections, you know, I, I palpate everything and I line everything up and I look, um, and then I come in with my Q-tip and topical anesthetic, put it on the spot. I would say that my normal time for giving the injection, uh, this is from start to, you know, taking the needle out of the tissue. It's somewhere between two and three minutes. Mm-hmm. I inject slowly. And I'm talking to the patient while I'm doing it, like I said, and I take the needle out and with my finger, I'm just massaging that area a little bit. And, you know, Mrs. Jones, you did great. You know, I'm really happy to see you're still breathing. You know, I just kind of try to use a little humor here. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's dental humor, admittedly, but whatever. Right. Um, and then I would say I should see signs of anesthesia coming on in five minutes. So I still ask the question, are you feeling some numbness? And if the patient says yes, that's good. And particularly with the mandible, if in five minutes they're feeling some anesthesia coming on, I will right then and there go and give a second cartridge of anesthesia at the same location. Because there's a lot of good evidence that shows that using two cartridges of our anesthetic, two of our 1.8, 1.7 cc cartridges, really gives a faster onset and gives more profound anesthesia to the patient. So in five minutes, if they've got signs of anesthesia, I know I was on target. I know I got the right spot. Let's strengthen it. If at five minutes the patient says, "Ah, yeah, I'm not feeling any numbness, I missed. Okay. So I'm going to re reassess, repalpate. And do I want to go a little higher, a little lower, a little further back? Where do I want to go? And I will now come in and give the second injection at five minutes. You know, that's not the way I was trained. I was trained. You gave the injection and you waited 10 to 15 minutes to see whether it worked. And it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, man, that's a long time to sit there waiting. It is. So I'm trying to be more efficient. Good work. Good work. So cool, cool, cool. Any last tips that you have or last thoughts you have on local anesthesia? Or what would you tell? I mean, again, we have young dentists, like as they look at a career of 30 years of practicing or 20 years in front of them, you know. Okay. I'll, I'll toss out two tips here, Kirk. Please. Number one, learn as many different techniques as you can. You know, again, the first technique we we teach you is the traditional inferior alveolar regional nerve block technique, and that's the one that most dentists use to anesthetize, you know, one side of the mandible. But there's other techniques. I'm a huge fan of the Gao Gates. It's far more efficient. It has a higher success rate once you learn how to do it well, but you have to practice it to learn how to do it well. And again, there's another technique, the Vazrani Akinosi. You can also use infiltrations. There's different things that you can use, and you can use them in different combinations. So learn them. Don't be afraid to apply them where you feel that they're going to help you. And the more you use them, the better you get at them. So that's, that's tip number one. Let's see if I can remember what tip number two was. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. You get me talking. Hey, oh, I'm like, I'm, my, se- my second tip here. I got it. I got it. Go. You called me an expert, Kirk. And I know you meant that kindly, 
But I go, no, I'm not an expert. I miss injections just like everybody. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully I, I have a good success rate, but I do miss right. injections. Let's leave it at that. Okay. Right. And so the, the point is, is that I don't care how expert you are. You're never going to be perfect. Right. And you do still have a lot of anatomical variation out there. People are built differently. You know, as a dentist, I wish they were all identical. It would make giving anesthesia easy, but that's not the way the human race is. And it's good because it would be a boring world if we were all identical. Yeah. I, so my, my point is, again, knowing different techniques allows you to accommodate all the different variances of human anatomy. Yeah. I love your two tips because number one, you can, never, like I said, I mean, just learning as much as you possibly can. Cause you always pick up something from everybody. Like even if it's oh, a yeah. verbal skill, it's so cool. And then oh, yeah. I think your second point is spot on. And that's a big deal is like, perfect is just not a goal. Progress is can a good I, can, goal. Can I add one more thing here? You Kirk? can add as many as you say, want. One of the things I really love about teaching is it, it makes me, you know, stay on top of things. Yes, true. Yeah. But I love the questions that students or people that attend my CE course, I love the questions that they ask because it makes me think about things a little differently or a little different situation. It helps me to learn yeah. to think about these problems that they had and trying to solve their problems. So, you know, to me, that's, again, this constant learning it's not just me spewing out my fountain of expertise. It's, hey, I love what you guys ask and the problems you bring me because I'm learning from it too. Yeah, I love that. And I personally believe that teachers and military – those two are the the heroes of this world. And so I, I'm always curious, and this is a little bit off topic, but the the teaching aspect of things in dental school, like what what are some of your favorite things, you know, as as because I know there's a lot of dental students listening, and what are some of the advice that you would you'd give them? Because I talk to these kids and like, yeah, I'm just, bur I got to get through this. And I'm like, you're going to be fine once you get out there. Like, what are your favorite things that you say to your students or see in your students? Um... Well, so, you know, in, in, there's, there's so much to learn mm -hmm. and there's no way you can learn it all, remember it all. I, I think, unfortunately, our students come from college and up our education up through college, students are largely memorizing information and then just spewing it back out for an exam. Dentistry is not, that's not going to work. You need to actually learn things. And so, it takes learning those facts and figuring out how do they apply? How do they integrate together? How do they work together? Um, understanding why we do certain things the way we do. You know, if you're doing a resin filling, why are the steps laid out this way? What are we trying to accomplish at each step? And what goes wrong if we don't do it that way? Right. That's how you really integrate that knowledge. And then it becomes intuitive and you can extrapolate from that and adapt to different situations. But, you know, you're you're going to make mistakes. We all do. Try not to make big ones. Try not to make dangerous or costly ones. Uh, but pay attention. Learn from your mistakes. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. But don't be stupid enough to not learn from your mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the best lessons ever is just take a deep breath 
and go, this is bad. Okay. Now, when it I does ask happen, you a question, give me an answer. Right. If it's wrong, that's okay. At least you're thinking and trying. 100%. 100%. Well, Alan, I would, I've absolutely enjoyed this and I really appreciate it. Now, if I'm listening, how do I find out more about what you do or how do I reach out to you if I have a couple questions? How do I get a hold of you? Best way is uh, email. My email address is A B U D E N Z. So A is my first initial, B Budenz is my last name. So A Budenz at Pacific, uh, P A C I F I C, as in Pacific Ocean, dot edu. That's awesome. So A Budenz at Pacific dot edu. I'm always happy to answer questions, always happy to help. Uh, if you want to talk on the phone, we can set up an appointment by uh, email and we'll make it happen. Sounds good. And I prefer a visit personally because that's one of my favorite cities ever. <laughs> I just love oh, it. Great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. It's just Always amazing. welcome. Yeah. So, Alan, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Stick around for just a second while we say goodbye to everybody else. But uh, pleasure. Thank you, Kurt. Oh, my gosh. It's so fun. So thank you guys for listening to the Best Practice Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed today. Remember, this is a big piece of dentistry. This is a big piece of understanding your patients. And so uh, I hope this was helpful to you. If you enjoyed today, do us a favor. Just share this with your friends. Keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. You're going to see we have an amazing summer lined up. And until we see you guys next time, keep watching the Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.